while you're turning once again to Matthew 6, if you're not already there, the young people that uh, uh, your parents have given you permission to go to uh, Children's Church, you may do so now and uh, just go ahead and leave. Matthew chapter 6. <clears throat> We've been in the Sermon on the Mount for 20 Sundays, not all consecutive, but uh, it's hard to believe that much time has passed and we're still barely halfway through. So I'm sure we'll be at least 20 more Sundays before we finish up. Speaking on the subject of private prayer this morning, private prayer, Jesus has already talked about giving in the first few verses. We considered that last week, but now he moves on to the matter of private prayer. In verse 5, and when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Jesus said, Verily, truly, I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Verse 7, But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. And then he gives the Lord's Prayer, which we won't get to today. When I announce as my subject private prayer, some of you, if you remember and were here at the time, it wasn't that long ago, I think it was in 2019, I gave several messages really emphasized corporate prayer. And maybe you're thinking, Pastor, I think you said something about that the emphasis in the New Testament is on praying together, corporate prayer, rather than praying in private. And if you're thinking that, let me commend you. That's exactly what I said. Uh, you're accurate. And I'm not backpedaling. I'm not taking that back this morning when I stress the importance and the necessity of private prayer. Because both corporate prayer and private prayer are mandated and modeled by our Savior. I really hope no one is discounting the importance of corporate prayer just because of what I'll preach on today. Maybe someone has the attitude, I hope not, but maybe you have the attitude, well, Pastor, I don't go to prayer meetings. I don't participate in any of the Zoom prayer meetings because I pray in secret. Well, Jesus is certainly not giving a prohibition of public praying or corporate praying, united praying. Did you know that some prayer meetings are recorded in Scripture, the actual prayers that were prayed? Corporate prayer meetings are the very life of the church. The family that prays together stays together. And that's true of the family of God. We've seen some renewed interest in some of our Zoom corporate prayer meetings, and I praise, I don't say a lot about that because I want the Spirit of God to lead people. I don't throw a guilt trip on people about that. But I will say this, I would be scared stiff to stop those prayer meetings. Because when you look around and good churches are dissolving and good churches are splitting right down the middle, you think that could happen to Friendship Baptist? Oh, yes. By grace we stand. 
And we better keep praying. We can't afford to stop. You know, it's important to note Christ's use of the word when here. He said in verse 2, when thou doest thine alms. Several times in the next section, when thou prayest. And then we'll get to it, but he says, moreover, when ye fast. It's interesting, he didn't say if. He said when. You know what that tells me? That tells me that he expects us to do these things. He didn't say if you decide to give or pray or fast, then here's how you do it. No, he said when. So his concern was not that we do it, but his concern was and is how and why. Our motives are all important. Now, we're always going to have sinful mixtures with the best duties that we do. While we are not sinless, we can and ought to be upright before God so that our prayers will be answered, right? Because it says in the book of Psalms there, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. You may pray a beautiful prayer. Somebody may come up to you and say, what a beautiful prayer, but if if God didn't hear it, what good was it? And so our motives are all important. And we need to be upright before God so that our prayers will be answered. Church members need to love one another so that their prayers for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit will be realized. Do you think praying together for 10 days in the upper room had anything to do with what happened on the day of Pentecost? How many of you think it did? Would you raise your hand? Okay, a few of you don't. But um, I have some sermons I'll let you listen to on that in the past. All right. Husbands need to love their wives. And wives need to respect and honor their husbands. Why? Peter said it. He came right out and said it in 1 Peter 3, verse 7, so that your prayers be not hindered. So it's so important to be on praying ground. God is all about the why and the how. He's all about the motives of the heart, the attitude of our hearts when it comes to prayer. And that's why Jesus starts with this introduction to the subject of prayer And then he'll lay down more guidelines as to the what when we get into the what is called the Lord's Prayer. I think you know that's not the true Lord's Prayer that begins there in verse uh, 9. That's the disciples' prayer, right? The model prayer. The Lord's Prayer is found in John 17, another majestic, precious passage. Jesus is concerned about the why and the how more than he is the what. In fact, if you look at the Gospels, there's not many things that Jesus tells us to pray for. He kind of leaves that to our sense of need and the leading of the Holy Spirit. But there are a lot of guidelines as to how and why. Mark 11, verse 24, what things soever you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them and ye shall have them. Now, I want to talk about some do's and don'ts that Christ lays down about praying in private here. We'll start with the, with the don'ts, the prohibitions, because maybe we need to correct some wrong thinking and ruts or bad habits that we've gotten into in our prayer life, if we pray at all. So let's talk about the don'ts, and then we'll talk about the do's. 
we need to establish beyond any doubt, first of all, in our minds, that Jesus has the authority to teach us how to pray. Have you thought about that? It's significant that He's the one doing the teaching here. Now, all the Word of God is inspired in what Paul says and what Peter says and what John says, just as inspired as what Jesus said. But Jesus has the authority. He knows the Father perfectly and intimately. His prayers are always answered. That's what He said at the grave of Lazarus before He performed one of the greatest miracles of His earthly ministry. He said, Father, I knew, I thank you because I knew that you heard me and I know you hear me always. Isn't it interesting? He didn't have to clear away any log jam of sin like we have to before we can get through to God. He's the authority. Did you realize that all of our praying is mediated by Jesus? Not Mary not some other saint. We pray in Jesus' name. That was not possible until the New Testament dispensation, as Jesus said in the upper room, at that day you shall pray the Father in my name. Hitherto have you asked nothing in my name, but ask and receive that your joy may be full. And so we close our praying, usually without even thinking about it, in Jesus' name, amen. But it's powerful to be able to do that. We have a new privilege and power in prayer nobody in the Old Testament ever knew about. Are we exercising that privilege? If we understand the authority that Jesus Christ has in prayer, that will cause us to listen on purpose to the guidelines He lays down here. Otherwise, look at your phone, read something else, I hope you won't. What does he prohibit here? What are the don'ts that Jesus gives us before he gets into the do's? First of all, he says, don't be ostentatious. Verse 5, and when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. There it is. It's all for show. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. And he means they have all of it. That's all they're going to get. God's not going to give them anything. Jesus is exposing the Pharisees here. All of their piety, all of their religiosity was made for TV, as it were. Oh, how they love the praise of men. And we have an example of that, though I won't have you turn there just for the sake of time, but we have an example of that in Luke chapter 18 where Jesus gives that marvelous, uh, such clear-cut teaching on the parable of the Pharisee and the publican. And Jesus makes exactly the same point there, saying that the Pharisee, who he talks about first in that parable, he put himself in a prominent spot, and no doubt it was as far away as he could get from the publican. Actually, the hypocrisy was even worse than it seems on the surface. The Pharisee here was so anxious to be seen of men, are you listening, that he couldn't even wait to get to the temple, so he stands and prays on the street corner. Is it wrong to pray on the street corner? No, but it's wrong to do it to be seen of men. And again, I appeal to you, don't take this guideline, this directive from our Savior 
to be a blanket prohibition of corporate prayer. The Word of God, both Old Testament and New Testament, commends and commands that we pray together. Oh, if you haven't started doing it, if you haven't joined one of these Zoom prayer meetings, if you haven't come on a Sunday night when we break up in prayer, I challenge you to do that. You'll see there's a new power there. It was in a corporate prayer meeting that the power of the Holy Spirit was poured out in answer to the entreaties of some earnest disciples. Nor is Jesus' teaching here to be regarded as a prohibition of public prayer. We should give thanks for our food at the restaurant, don't you think? I hope you do. It thrills my heart to go out and see people that I don't even know just bow their head and pray. They don't care who sees them. They're just talking to their father and thanking the Lord for the food. Reminds me of an elderly gentleman that did that when he visited a town that he was not from, and there were some teenage boys there, and they were making fun of him. They were emboldened by their numbers. And after he prayed, at least they didn't interrupt him, one of them came up and said, ha mister, does everybody do that back where you come from? And the boys that were with him laughed. And he paused for a moment, and then he answered, no, son, the pigs don't. The pigs don't. Let's not be embarrassed, let's not be ashamed to bow our head in prayer in a restaurant, even though it's a public place, and offer thanks for the food. Maybe you know it, maybe you don't, that back in Nazi Germany during World War II, it became dangerous to do that. If you said grace over your meal, not right away in the war, but as it progressed, you could be reported to the authorities. That's how despotic was the power of Hitler and how he took over the Lutheran church. So sometimes failure to pray publicly is just plain cowardice, isn't it? Reminds us of Daniel, the story of the lion's den. Probably every Sunday school child of age remembers King Darius fell for a plot that was hatched by the enemies of Daniel. He gave the order that no one in his realm could pray to any god or man for 30 days except to him. He was the big potentate. If they did, if they were caught, they'd be thrown into a den of hungry lions. Daniel knew about the decree. He was well aware of it. Now, if that had been you or me, probably many of us would have just kind of shut the window, or if we prayed, we would just kind of go, not Daniel. He opened the window like he'd done every day, three times a day, the window that faced Jerusalem, and he prayed aloud, and he got caught. But you know the rest of the story. God delivered him. Sometimes it's just plain cowardice not to pray aloud. But I think there's another lesson that Christ would teach us here. Just as in our charitable giving, he said, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And that's a very misunderstood passage. We talked about that. Just as he said that about giving, 
so in our private praying, he would admonish us, and please listen because we get caught up in this. Don't be so self-conscious. Did you know it's easy to fall into the trap of listening to ourselves instead of being taken up wholly with the God whose ears are open to our cry? Go back to that Pharisee again in Luke chapter 18 in the introductory verse there after Jesus explained why he was giving that parable. He says, the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. That's significant. If we're not careful, we can just pray with ourselves. God's not listening at all. We can be satisfied with having prayed a good prayer in our own judgment instead of being satisfied with receiving the answer that only God can give. If we're not careful, we don't wait on God to show us in His time that our prayer is heard. We just hear ourselves. We do the praying and we do the listening. Oh, how deceitful our hearts can be. If I do that, if you do that, and we get up off our knees feeling smugly satisfied, that's our reward. That's it. Because I have heard myself God will not hear me. I've given myself a reward and that's all I'm going to get. I think a lot of us are guilty of this. May the Spirit of God convict us. Prayer is far more than a pious act. It's the request of a child to the heart of the Father. May that be uppermost on our minds when we enter our closets. So that's what the first thing Jesus says, don't be ostentatious. Is it wrong to always pray in public? No. But it's wrong to do it to be heard and seen of men. The second prohibition, the second don't that Jesus gives here is don't be repetitious. In verse 7, but when ye pray, use not vain repetitions. As the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask, and so forth. It's interesting that the Greek for the word repetitions here, it's very singular, it's very instructive. It's the word batalageo. I don't expect you to remember that. I didn't know it until I studied for this message. Batalageo. It comes from an Aramaic word that means, are you listening, idle, I-D-L-E, not I-D-O-L, I-D-L-E, idle. Now, Jesus is not giving a prohibition against any repetition in prayer because He Himself in the Garden of Gethsemane prayed the same words at least three times. So He's not giving a prohibition of repeated prayer. But what He is doing is He's saying, don't do it in a mindless way. Don't be guilty of mindless repetition of words. Even in the Lord's Prayer, which we'll get into in future messages that begins in verse 9, the Latin words for our Father, that's the way it begins, our Father which art in heaven, the Latin words for our Father are pater noster. 
Some of you could probably say the Lord's Prayer in Latin. Well, I had to memorize that in Latin class. And uh, I'm glad we got through it because Latin is a dead language. It's plain for all to see. It killed off all the Romans, and now it's killing me. That's what we used to say. <laughs> Pater Noster. Did you know that the little slang term pitter-patter, do you know what that comes from? Pater Noster. Latin for our Father. Just like the rain that falls incessantly on the sidewalk or the window, and we describe it as pitter-patter, and we get used to it. We don't even think about it after the first minute or two. We call it pitter-patter. So making mindless incantations and vain repetitions, Jesus says, don't do that. Think about what you're saying. Don't be mechanical when you pray. Some things you can do in your sleep, but don't be mechanical about praying. You know what? If we really sense our need, we won't be guilty of this. If we really sense our danger, we won't pray mechanically. Do you think when Peter started sinking into the lake after he walked for a while on the water towards Jesus and he said, Lord, save me, do you think that he was just doing that in a mindless, repetitious way? No, I kind of think he meant it. Let's be real. Let's be authentic. Let's be earnest. Let's be alert. Let's be spontaneous when we pray. Away with this pitter-patter. That's plumb heathenish. Oh, we may find fault with the people that use prayer wheels and count beads and finger the rosaries and recite their pater nosters and their Ave Marias, but could we be guilty of the same thing by our mindless repetitions? Would you take your Bibles and turn to 1 Kings chapter 18? 1 Kings chapter 18. We have the story of one of the great dramatic stories of the Bible. Elijah challenging the prophets of Baal to a showdown on Mount Carmel. And they agreed that the God who answers by fire, let him be the God. So let's pick up the story in verse 26. The, these followers of, of Baal um, are, are praying and, and get, getting an earnest because nothing's happening. And so they took the bullock which was given them and they dressed it and called on the name of Baal from morning even until noon saying, O Baal, hear us. But there was no voice nor any that answered. And they leaped upon the altar which was made. Verse 27, it came to pass at noon that Elijah mocked them. He was having a lot of fun with this. And he said, cry aloud, for he's a God. Either he's talking or he's pursuing or he's in a dream. He may be on vacation, you know, don't disturb him. Just have to wait on him. Or peradventure he's sleeping and must be awake. Verse 20, and they cried aloud and cut themselves after their manners with knives and lancets till the blood gushed out upon them. And it came to pass when midday was passed and they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that there was neither voice nor any to answer nor any that regarded. They prayed the same mindless prayer over and over. Oh, Baal, Baal, hear us. Oh, Baal, Baal, hear us. And nothing happened. 
And we don't pray to Baal, but sometimes that's what happens in our praying. We get in ruts. We say the same mindless words or phrases. We can say, Lord, Lord, a hundred times as if God's mind is wandering and we've got to call his attention back. And Jesus would tell us, you're not heard for your much speaking. Does that mean that we shouldn't pray very long when we pray? No, 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 no. The greatest saints of the Christian era have spent much time in prayer in the conscious presence of God. But please don't fall for the idea that communion with God is reckoned by the clock or by a number of words or by a number of names on your prayer list. There's nothing wrong with a prayer list. Well then, if these are the taboos that we must avoid according to Jesus, what are the to-dos? Let me give you three things, and I hope this will challenge us about prayer, because if, if this church gets a hold of this, it will revolutionize Friendship Baptist Church. What should we do when it comes to prayer? Well, first of all, be personal. Again, far from it being wrong to pray with others, to, to engage in united prayer. We need to do that. We need to pray unitedly with other believers. We need to have family prayer, although that's almost an unheard of thing these days with the schedules. Family altar would alter many a family. If it wasn't for the family altar, I wouldn't have memorized half the scripture I know today. I mean, we didn't get up from the table and do anything until we had family altar. There were times I didn't want to do it. But I look back on it and I say, thank God for it. So we need to have prayer times with other believers. We need to have family prayer. We need to pray with our spouse, like I mentioned that Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 3. But unless we have a personal prayer life with God, we're going to be very shallow in any of these venues for corporate prayer. Our breath will seem strange if we haven't engaged in private prayer. So Jesus says, first of all, have a closet. As we go back to Matthew chapter 6, verse 6. But thou, when thou prayest, here's the thing we are to do, enter into thy closet. Does it have to be a literal closet? No. The Greek for closet is tamion. It means secret chamber, but it doesn't necessarily mean private chamber. Remember, the God who sees in secret says that we need to pray in the secret place. Sometimes it's secret because of the time in which you do it. I know some mothers that have so many children that the only way they can have a private moment to pray is to get up early before the rest of the household gets up. I love what the psalmist said in the 90th Psalm, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty, the secret place, where just you and God meet. I believe that Christ had in mind Isaiah chapter 26, verse 20, when he gave this directive. Isaiah 26, verse 20, Come, my people, enter thou into thy chambers, and shut thy doors. Do you see that? how similar that is? Matthew 6, 6, shut thy doors about thee, hide thyself as it were for a little moment until the indignation be overpassed. So the very first instruction Jesus gives about private prayer is to find a secret place. 
have an inner chamber, have a holy of holies, a, a fixed spot where you can meet with your father. Now, the people to whom he said these words were distinctly Jewish. So what would have been the image that was conjured up in their mind? What would they have associated with this? What would they have connoted? Invariably, it would have been the Holy of Holies. The secret chamber in the tabernacle and later the temple, the temple of Solomon. And in that Holy of Holies, in the most holy place in the tabernacle, in the temple, there was no door. There was no window. There was only a veil that fell back into its place as soon as it was released. And only one person could go behind behind that veil on one day of the year, the high priest, to meet with God on behalf of the people. And God's presence was symbolized with the glory cloud that hovered over the mercy seat, the golden lid atop, atop the Ark of the Covenant, underneath the outstretched wings of the cherubim. And that representative of the people, the high priest, could not come unless he brought blood to sprinkle on that mercy seat. Come back tonight and hear Brother Thomas talk about that blood. He brings a message not without blood. I'm looking forward to it. Let's never forget, beloved, when we come to God in prayer in in the closet, in the secret place, we have no right of access except we come through the blood-sprinkled way. But when we do, as the writer of the Hebrews says, we can have boldness to enter the holiest. Let's avail ourselves of that unspeakable privilege. It's a closet. This closet does have a door, unlike the Holy of Holies. It just had a curtain. And Jesus tells us to shut the door. Why? I think it's pretty obvious, twofold answer. We need to shut the world out. You know, it's funny. We have to have our cell phones and gadgets. Could I urge you to put your cell phone in another room when you get along with God? You say, well, somebody might want me. We'll just get up early enough that they're not up yet. As much as possible, get rid of the noise and the distractions and the interruptions of life. Please seek the face of God before you seek the face of man. The door is there to shut the world out. But the door is there to shut yourself in with God. You need to go alone. Every praying soul needs to meet God absolutely alone. There are some some secrets that only God needs to know or indeed can know. And in this matter, Proverbs 14, verse 10 is true. The heart knows his own bitterness, and a stranger doth not intermeddle with his joy. And I'm telling you this morning, if you do not have time alone with the Master in the secret place, you're going to leave and go out to meet the world with your soul unfed and your lamp untrimmed, and you'll be unprepared to do battle for the day. Have a closet. We live such public lives. 
We're so distracted. But then secondly, Jesus says, the thing we are to do is to pray directly to God. Once that door is shut, pray to thy Father which is in secret. Again, don't be preoccupied with your own thoughts and exercises. Let your first thought be, I must meet with my Father. I must meet with my Father. There's no place where the Master teaches to pray that is more conducive than in the conscious, living presence of the Father. Again, seek His face before you seek the face of any other man or woman. Seek His face before you seek His hand. We've talked a lot about that a few years ago. Still your soul before Him. It will be a battle for a while. Because I've got news for you. Satan doesn't respect your prayer time. He will follow you into the closet. So you're going to have to fight him. And you may lose some skirmishes, but you can win the war. You'll have to chase him off. It'll be a struggle. You'll have to chase those unworthy, interrupting thoughts off, just like Abraham chased away the birds from the sacrifice in Genesis 18. But God will reward you for your effort. When we get along with the Father, Hebrews 11.6 should come to our minds, but he that cometh to God must believe that he is. Again, I say Satan doesn't respect your closet. So he will fill you with atheistical thoughts. You say, I'm a Christian, I believe in God. Yeah, but you'll still have atheistical thoughts. We all do. The idea will come into your mind there is no God, or if there be a God, he's too lofty and too remote to fool with me. He that cometh to God must believe that he is. And I challenge you, when you get in the closet, to take him as your own tender, pitying father. As we read in Psalm 103 in wonderful verses, as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame. He remembereth that we are dust. As for man, his days are as grass, as a flower of the field, so he flourisheth. The wind passeth over it, and it is gone, and the place thereof shall know it no more. But God pities us. God deals with us. Jesus came to reveal the Father. As I said in my prayer, he, he taught us to pray our Father. His Holy Spirit within us, and if you have If you're saved, you have the Holy Spirit, because the Bible says, if any man have not the Spirit of God, he's none of his. And if you have the Holy Spirit, may I remind you, one of the titles for the Holy Spirit is he's the Spirit of adoption. He's the one who causes us to pray, Abba, Father. That's a very tender, intimate term, equivalent to our daddy. He is the one, are you listening, that causes us to feel our sonship. Do you think that's necessary when we pray? There is no privilege greater 
There is no experience more exhilarating than that of praying to your Father and knowing that He is your Father. Believe that He exists, but that's not enough. We must believe that He hears and that He answers. Because when we are conscious of that we're in the presence of a holy Father, then the devil is going to work on us with thoughts of unworthiness and unfitness and guiltiness in coming to Him. And we're going to have to re- let the Scripture fill our minds, let God be true and every man a liar, including our own lying heart. We're going to have to realize our true position in Christ. He cannot turn away His Son, and we are in Him, and He is in us. That's the reason we can be confident in prayer. I want you to turn to a passage that I hope you'll read and memorize this week. If you haven't done so already, would you turn to 1 John chapter 5? Verses 14 and 15. 1 John chapter 5, 14 and 15. Here's the key for confidence in prayer. 1 John 5, 14 and 15. Verse 14, and this is the confidence. Maybe you have a translation that says boldness. That's exactly what it means. And this is the boldness, the confidence that we have in Him. That if we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us. Verse 15, and if we know that He hear us whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of Him. Oh, plead that verse. Plead similar promises. I'll say more about it in a moment as we close. Be personal. The second thing is to be knowledgeable. As we go back to Matthew 6, look at verse 8. Be not ye therefore like unto them, who's them? The heathen. For your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask Him. But isn't it amazing He still wants us to ask? He knows what we need, but He still wants us to ask. And so we need to let our requests be made known unto God. And we need to come to know our God because the Bible says in Daniel chapter 11, verse 32, are you listening? The people that do know their God shall be strong and shall do exploits. Do you want to do exploits for God? Do you want to do things that can only be explained by the fact God did it through you? You're going to have to know your God. And then you'll be able to do the greater works Jesus promised. You often heard me comment about that verse, John 14, verse 12. Jesus said, verily, verily, I say unto Listen, if he says it one time, that's enough. But if he puts a verily, verily in front of it, we better sit up and take notice. Truly, truly. Amen, amen. That's what that means. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do because I go to the Father. What was he going to do when he went to the Father? He was going to send the Holy Spirit to take his place. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can do greater works than Jesus did. Is that possible? Am I missing something? Am I being preposterous? You know how we can do those greater works? 
Don't stop with John 14, verse 12. Go on to verse 13, which says, And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. It is through prayer in Jesus' name, prompted and powered by the Spirit of the glorified Christ, that we can do the greater works. That's not just for the elite in God's family. That's just not for the George Whitfield and George Mueller's and praying hides. That's for you. That's for me. This is the antidote for false notions about prayer. The heathen think that they influence their deities by their much speaking, by their multiplied incantations. The reason Jesus gives for our being different, and the reason we shouldn't be hypocritical, and the reason we shouldn't be ostentatious, and the reason we shouldn't be repetitious, and the reason we shouldn't be superstitious in prayer like so many are, the reason is this, your Father knoweth the things you have need of before you ask. As our Father, He anticipates our needs. He knows us. He knows you better than you know yourself. Do you know Him? This is the antidote for false notions about prayer, but it's the incentive for searching the Scriptures. If they that know their God shall be strong and do exploits, how can we know our God better? Do we sit around... uh, in a trance, in a suspended mental state, and stare at our navels like some people do? Oh, no. We meditate on the Word of God, and we depend upon the Holy Spirit to illuminate the things of Christ. And let me tell you what, He loves to do that. That is His prerogative. That is His privilege to take the things of Christ and reveal them unto us. As I preached recently from John 4, verse 10, Jesus told the woman of Samaria, if you knew more, you would ask more. If you knew the gift of God, if you knew who was talking to you and what he could do for you, you would ask and he would give you living water. The reason we don't have more is we don't ask. We need to search the Scriptures to know what God's willing to give. If you knew more, you would ask more. Finally, be scriptural. Be personal with the Father. Be knowledgeable about the Father. Be scriptural. Look at verse 8 again. For your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask Him. But again, I say, yet He wants us to ask. We're told in Philippians 4, verse 6, let your requests be made known unto God. Beginning next Sunday, Lord willing, we'll look at the model prayer, the disciples' prayer that begins in verse 9. This is the prayer Jesus gave us, and so we'll be able to be more scriptural in what we pray, how desperately we need to be informed by Scripture if we're going to get through to God and have our prayers answered. That's why Jesus said in John 15, verse 7, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. That's why ordinarily it's best to read the Word first before you pray. And sometimes that's not possible. Don't keep from praying just because you haven't read your Bible. But if you want to have scripturally informed praying, read your Bible first and then pray. Well, stay tuned and come back next week.
In the meantime, meditate on 1 John 5, 14 and 15. Oh, I pray that you, if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And therefore, our main concern should be, I hope it's your concern this morning, how do we know that we're asking according to God's will? Does anybody ever wondered about that? Anybody ever wondered, how do I know I'm asking according to God's will? All right, yeah, a few of you. You know the answer to it? The answer rests primarily in praying according to what Scripture reveals. If Scripture reveals something, then you know it's safe to pray that way. But what about those cases that are not specifically addressed in the Bible? That's why we've been given the Holy Spirit. He's the one given to us to be able to apply the principles of Scripture to individual cases. That's why we read in Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27, and I close with this, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. Paul, the great apostle, said that. He said our. He was including himself. Don't you know he was a great prayer warrior? But he said our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. Don't we all have to say that? But the Spirit himself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the mind of the Spirit knows what he's asking for. The Spirit of God is the answer. Pray for the Spirit. Oh, so, oh I got the Spirit. Okay, okay yeah, yeah all right. you got the Spirit, but you need more of Him. You need more of His operations. You need more of His ministrations. You need more of His manifestations. You need more of His power. I'm afraid that the idea that we got all the Spirit when we got saved has kept us from praying for more of the ministry of the Spirit and the power of the Spirit in our lives. Shall we pray? Father, you've taught us this morning from your word the vital truth that makes the devil hopping mad. Oh, please keep us at your footstool. Keep us suing you for your mercies in prayer. As we resist the devil steadfast in the faith, when he follows us into our prayer closet, may we see the fulfillment of that promise. If we resist him, he will flee from us. My God shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. Oh God, the church is so anemic. Resurrect some dormant prayer lives, some anemic prayer lives this morning. Make us a praying people at Friendship Baptist Church. Make Friendship Baptist Church a house of prayer for all nations. I pray that our personal walk with you will result in priestly power with you. And may Christ alone get all the glory. In his name we pray. Amen.